Hello everyone and welcome to the Early Stages podcast by APX. My name is Søren and I'm your host on this podcast where we guide you through everything you need to know about the first steps towards building a successful company. APX is an investor. We've invested in almost 150 very early stage startups by now. And in each episode of this podcast, we talk to founders and experts from our network to dive into one specific topic that can help you grow your new startup and hopefully inspire more people to start their own business. Today's episode is about product market fit, what it is, why it matters, and how and when to find it. Let's get started. If you have listened to the previous episodes of this podcast, you will have noticed that the term product market fit has come up quite a few times. And this is with good reason. Today we dive into why that is. Because just because you think you have a great product, the world is waiting for, it doesn't mean that it will be successful in the market. You have got to test it. Uh, do the people out there actually really want your product? Does your product actually serve an existing market demand? How can you achieve product market fit? That's what I'm about to discuss with my guests today. And I'm joined in our podcast studio by first Teddy Kim, who's head of venture development here at APX. Hi, Teddy. Hello, hello, Soren. Pleasure to be here. Good to have you here. And secondly, we're joined by Geronimo van Schentel, co-founder and CEO at Buildia. Hi, Geronimo. Hi, Soren. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. And I think it would be nice, Geronimo, if you could just first give us a little introduction to Buildia. Yeah, so Buildia is a state-of-the-art procurement uh, software and digital ecosystem for construction. Uh, what we help is uh, mainly general contractors, but also other stakeholders like subcontractors, manufacturers, real estate developers, to centralize, digitalize, first of all, centralize, optimize, and add a data, smart data layer to all their procurement operations. I'd like to first start this conversation about product market fit by asking you, Teddy, if you can be the one to define for us in the clearest way possible, <laughs> what is product market fit uh, exactly? Thanks, Soren. You're giving me probably the most difficult question I think startups will face. So <laughs> thank you for that. I mean, it is like we were talking about before this, um, kind of like the holy grail. It's this mythical creature that we all look for, but it's difficult to define. It's going to be different for each company. It's going to be different for different stages in the company. I think the I think the the actual term was probably coined by I think Mark Andreessen, but I think he first used it back in 2006 or 2007. Um, but basically, I think the way they had defined it back then was it's finding a problem and a solution to that problem for what they define as a good market. Um, so probably a, a big and growing market in terms of venture capital. Now, I, I think about it a little bit differently because we at APX deal with such early stage founders where the usual signs that people look at in the public markets around revenue and growth just don't apply. Revenue is a lagging indicator, as we always say here at APX. But the way we define product market fit is customers waiting outside the door wanting to use your product. And once they're starting to use your product, no matter how clunky and, and non-functional it might be, is them saying, I really want to use this and I'm going to stick around and keep using this, which means engagement rates, even if the actual number of customers who are using it is low, but the retention is high. So that's kind of how we define at these earliest stages. But we understand that each company is going to be different. 
Yeah, and and when, with Mark Andreasen, just to to get that in uh, straight, you're referring to uh, co-founder and general partner of uh, well-known Silicon Valley venture capital firm Andreasen Horowitz, uh, founder, who's coined for for quite a few uh, relevant things. Uh, and I, I actually found his definition just before we talked. Teddy said something around when an entrepreneur identifies a need in the market and and builds a solution that customers want to buy. That's product market fit. Is this too simple for you or for your taste, or or can we go with this as a definition, Teddy? I mean, I'm not going to say, I mean, I respect the guys there so much. I won't say he's wrong, but would I question it's helpful? Maybe. Um, because if I were a founder at the beginning of, you know, putting my first version of a product out there, maybe even just a you know, viable test, I'll be looking for, hey, am I really defining the problem the right way for the right target customer? I would say that's the first thing I want to understand, even before I think about putting a product into the market. And then as I build it and as I test with those users or those cust potential customers, are they coming back asking for more? And are they sharing with other people who they live or work with around them? And they're saying, hey, we have similar jobs to be done or objectives to be done. How is this product helping me do that better? Um, even if the product is terrible, like they're saying, look, there's so many bugs, but I'm still coming back to it next week, every week. So that's kind of how we would, we would define it is don't worry about reaching 10,000, 100,000, million people in early days. Focus on a target segment and then try to really show that this product is solving for a very specific problem. Even just one feature set, one specific problem is enough in the early days. And if that hypothesis does ring true, then we can build from there to a larger target segment. So I think it's always a bit misleading because so many investors out there will say, how big can this be? That's one of the first questions I think a lot of investors ask when they talk with founders. But then founders say, look, I have to start somewhere small. There's a wedge I create. This wedge is the foundation of my product market fit. But please trust in me that this will solve for a larger problem in the market. And that's, I think, the leap of faith that, that investors and founders need to take when discovering their product market fit. I know that APX and, and many other investors, of course, look at product market fit uh, when they assess companies and how they are performing. And of course, you can look at it in different ways for an investor like APX being very, very early stage. It's a different way of looking at product market fit where some companies have just not found it yet, but are doing some testing. And now that we've sort of established what product market fit is, Teddy, could you tell us why is it important for startups to be aware of? Yeah, this is also kind of the secondary question behind product market fit. That's also very difficult. I think in the early days, it's important to for founders, the most important asset for them is their time, right? And obviously money is a function of that, but it's actually where founders choose to focus their time that's going to be, I think, the determining factor on how well the business does. And I think discovering product market fit in the early days, like we often even don't use that term, PMF, product market fit, because it's a bit misleading. It's more about, can we really define the problem solution set? And then can we show that customers are visibly excited? And I think that's the balance between tangible and intangible that founders have to strike at these early days and showing, hey, look, we don't have enough money or reach maybe to get 30% month over month growth in top line or number of customers. That's really difficult and that's okay. Rather, we're going to define better who our target customer is. And then we're going to demonstrate that they're excited about the product. And we as a founder can define, rightfully so, what that excitement looks like. Uh, so for example, quite a few of our companies pre-product have been able to raise rounds from other investors. This is kind of this external momentum we talked about in, in prior episodes of the podcast, where investors are like, oh, there's something that these guys are onto. They're solving for some problem. And they can demonstrate that or validate that by showing the excitement, for example, in waiting lists and saying, oh, they've looked at 
a very, very small segment of customers, but so many of them are demanding to use this product. And even actually some of them are saying, here, here's my payment details. <laughs> I know you can't take them right now, but I really want to pay for this product because I really need it in my life. It's solving for already the initial stages of the, the foundation of the problem. So that's one kind of small example in terms of waiting list. The other is if I test with a small beta group of, of users, say it's 100, maybe 200 customers, but those customers are highly engaged and they're already saying, hey, I want to refer people. So you already see a little bit of a viral coefficient there in terms of people wanting to use that, that product. And that, that referral rate also can manifest in, in MPS scores. So we often see a lot of our companies with above, like highly above industry average MPS scores, so 70 plus in terms of customers saying, yeah, I'm really enjoying this. I want my peers to be also using this because the pain is real. Makes sense, Teddy. And my apologies for asking you these very top uh, top line, broad questions. I think you did a fine job, though, on, on getting us up to speed with at least understanding sort of the basics of what it is and why it matters. And, and I think this is a good point to bring in Geronimo for, for your story with Buildia. Can you tell us a little bit about your own story and experience with finding product market fit? And, and, and please take us back as, as early as you want, basically, with your company. Yeah, thanks for that question. And I, I must say before uh, that I resonate a lot with some of the uh, points raised by Teddy, like namely the one that was saying, you know, uh, am I really asking the right problem or framing the right problem? It's been super intense learning journey for us. And I think the startup has transformed quite radically in that search of the Holy Grail. We are a purely B2B company and we are in, a, in an industry which is construction, which is uh, quite complex in the sense that every project is a prototype, is different from the other one. And in the sense that it's extremely fragmented and there are a lot of technical processes going on. And on top of that, and all of this, I say it because it's very important for the product market fit journey, we are digitalizing one of the, I would say, three core processes of our industry. And we, at the beginning, coming from the world of construction and having worked this problem of, of, of procurement, we thought it was the real problem was about the connection between part A and part B and making that efficient. And our vision Our long-term vision was, and, and still is in a way, building the, the trading network of construction. So connecting all of this ecosystem in a way that is efficient for, for procurement. And within that, we started with a, a model that responded to uh, what the venture capital literature has called market network or sustainable marketplace. We understood that it was having a, an initial fit because we started to see that within our corporations, the, the, the companies we, we sell to, which are now typically medium, let's say, tier two construction companies, which are between 50 and 500 employees, we identified that suddenly you come with a value proposition, you identify a pain, you ask whether they identify with this pain or not, and they say, yes, this is totally what we live day, day by day. And you have, maybe you have like an engineer of procurement in the first meeting, but in the second meeting you have already like the director of procurement, even director of operations, and then the whole director of digitalization in the meeting. And they want to listen what you, to what you're saying and they're spending their time in understanding it and in looking at how they can implement this in the company and moving forward to second and third meeting with that. that that's something that was a super early indicator that we were on the right track. But this was super valuable to understand what what Terry was saying at the beginning. Am I defining my problem the right way? And is my product going and growing in the right direction? So by meeting with all of these people, the relevant customer persona and user and so on, we were able to accelerate the way we learned about our product, exactly putting ourselves in the feet of the customer and adding these functionalities or putting the, the value more on one part or on the other. Or even, for instance, to give you an example, 
we identify that you know the pain is different, is perceived differently in the engineering layer of the company and in the C level of the company, right? The engineering level of the company looks at the process, looks at the optimization of the process and at fulfilling technical timing and aesthetic requirements of construction. Whereas the C level, of course, looks at numbers and also looks at data. They all look at both, but you know their level of priorities is quite radical. It's quite different. So we also understood how to develop the product in a way that solve the questions to the engineering level and to the C level in one sales cycle instead of having to do it twice or three times. So that, that's that's where we, we are now. Geronimo, you talked about like defining the problem and, and working towards it and, and testing it and looking at the metrics. And, and you also, of course, have to define for you in this sense, what were the metrics you looked at, but on sort of a If, if you can, on a general level, what are the things to look at when you are testing product market fit uh, as a very early stage startup? In our case, okay, we're B2B and uh, you need to make sure that you're achieving, that you're putting your customer, the relevant customer, in the position of using the software and in going through the core interaction that you are actually saying, okay, this is, if we solve this pain, you'll be using this day after day, the whole day probably in your office, right? So you need to make sure that that your customer is on that, is putting the, themselves in the, in the foots of using the software itself. How do you see that before even you you have the opportunity to build pilots or and, and once you build the pilots or, or you build the first customer engagement? At the beginning, because you see that the questions that they're asking and Once you're explaining the pain and you're identifying, you need to let them project themselves inside your product so that they can say everything they need and, and project their daily processing into your product and how your software, your platform would first change, improve or, or not improve, or just keep some of the components of, of their daily work to understand, you know, what is the, the value and how their life is going to change. And you see that because they're asked very practical, very precise, spot-on questions about the, the day-to-day and the use of the product. And, and I think that is a very early sign. Teddy, how does that resonate with your experience working with the APX portfolio companies for whom I would suppose many of them uh, have... Uh, have questions around how to find their product market fit and, and they need some some guidance. Uh, how does this sit with you and, and what are some of the things you would usually talk to them about uh, in these early stages of their company building? Yeah, thanks, Soren. It's a lot of what Geronimo is saying also rings true for consumer-facing businesses as well as obviously other B2B businesses. So one thing that we always discuss with almost every one of our founders in these early pre-seed stages is making sure our our vision or how we see our product doesn't extend past the actual insights we have about our target customer. And this kind of goes back to what Geronimo was initially saying around making sure we hone in on the right customer profiles in the beginning uh, and understanding, oh, actually, you know, I'm solving for this problem for a company or a group of consumers, but actually the way we package it is best for a very specific subset. So for example, within a company, it's actually the engineers rather than the C-suite or, or whoever's controlling the budget that feels the pain the most and then being able to translate it to other stakeholders down the line. But making sure we we test for that really, really small, maybe single insight that we start gaining. As, as we do more and more of these customer discovery calls, both on the consumer side, but also on the B2B side, is really honing in on one, that one single insight um, or, or pain point, if you want to call it that, is. So building on this, I think it's figuring out where is that one insight that I really want to kind of build my product around as I as I build it and, and making sure like you don't have to build too early. I know there's this kind of philosophy that that's been around for decades now around build fast, right? And fail fast, but but actually don't don't build that technical debt 
too early on, but rather spend a little bit more time talking with your target customers. Um, and this is where it gets super interesting because uh, we get this question often is, you know, our customers, we're talked with 50, they're all really the ideal customers, but they're all asking for so many different things. Like we already have a feature list of 50 different things from 50 different people. What do I need to focus on? I think here is when we, we you know, as a founder, we need to take a leap of faith and make the judgment call because customers don't always know what they actually need. And you'll be able to see after 50 conversations, 100 conversations with potential customers that, oh, actually, they're asking for this, but there's something underlying here, which is the one true insight, right? What is that common example people always talk about? I mean, us being being affiliated with Porsche, it's, if people ask for a faster faster car, uh, horse, it's, it's not that they actually need a faster car, right? Or they needed a car. I think that, that is often true. And then it's building on the momentum there. It's saying, hey, we've learned a lot from who our target customers are. We've refined it. We refined this one key insight and we took a list of what could be 20 different features in the initial MVP, um, Renewable Viable Product, and we can narrow that down to two or three really killer what we call features in what solves for this key insight that we've learned. And then build upon it and continuously test, continually test, build momentum, show that of these 20 customers, most of them want to come back now and actually use this first version of the product. And they're evangelizing. They're the ones who are referring others, saying, this is really solving my problem. I'm already saying I want to pay. And this kind of hopefully results in, in a product that, that begins to scale. I would be curious, Teddy, to ask you if you could give maybe a concrete example of how uh, a company that you've worked with in the APX portfolio did this like small scale testing to understand better how does this test look like? Does it have to be big, expensive and, and resourceful? Like, How do you do this kind of testing? Could you give us a, a very specific example? Being able to set up the logistics to move product from consumers saying, I want to buy this to actually getting to the door. It takes a lot of time and money to set that up. And maybe in the beginning, you know, the, the company isn't set, set up enough to actually be quote-unquote viable, right? Um, so they can't actually fulfill an order per se. But we've seen quite a lot of founders put in the foundations to test what that experience and demand in terms of this one key insight that I mentioned earlier looks like. For example, uh, quite a few of our, our e-commerce kind of Uh, focused founders have created WhatsApp stores. You don't need a, a, a good-looking uh, front-end to, to a product, but take something that's working out there, a clunky version of a product, and make it tailored for solving for this one key insight. And as you use a, a clunky version of a WhatsApp store, figure out what exactly customers are looking for, what their behaviors are, where, for example, in this e-commerce model, why are they not using other e-commerce platforms out there to fulfill a similar need, right? So that's, that's one key way of doing it. And then building up, let's say, a uh, a quote-unquote user base of people who are saying, hey, I'm buying from you. I'm actually going to give you money to your bank account. It's manual. I have to, have to actually put it in, into my banking app and send you the cash. But I want to come back next week or, or in a couple of weeks and to be able to demonstrate that, oh, actually, this is working. And it's, it makes sense for us to then build our own kind of version of the product, a native version of the product outside of you know, the clunky versions of how we've been testing it and invest in that next step. Because we've proven our first set of hypotheses. Next set of hypothesis is let's build the product, reflecting what we've learned around this key insight, and then see if more people are coming and, and coming with a similar behavior in terms of their purchase behavior. Talking about the very early stages uh, about starting a company, as we do on this podcast, I want to ask both of you, what's your take on how early should a startup try to find product market fit? Is there a, a period of time where you don't have to worry about this? Or should you... Like from day one, say we are working towards product market fit and we have established by now that it's not a fixed thing. It's a holy grail and you are in a way always searching for it. But how should you think about it in the very early stages? Uh, Geronimo, maybe you want to go first? 
Yeah, thanks. That's uh, like your first question to Teddy, like super hard question. <laughs> but I guess, you know, in the end, every startup, in, in my opinion, every company, in my opinion, is about two things. One is impact, be it, you know, uh, changing the way business goes or, or you know, doing positive impact in, in the world in some way. And the other one, obviously, is economical viability, right? That's the goal. Uh, and that is why I would dare to say that I feel that the venture capital world supports us in, in those two quite strongly. And those two need to be in a way to, all together, right? It's not only about making money, but also about making money in a way that is impactful, right? So from the... Taking that initial reflection, I would say that you should always aim from the product market from the beginning, but you should not get obsessed with it. And let me uh, elaborate on that. Your product market fit, in a way, is a validation that your impact goal is going to be fulfilled or is being fulfilled. In the sense that if there's product market fit, it means you respond to a problem that is real. It means that your company can do a positive impact in, in the world somehow, regardless of the sector you are in. And of course, the consequence of that is, is building revenue and becoming progressively a, a viable business. Now, you not always know everything you need to know in order to get obsessed with product market fit and execute. I think there are phases in which you you can allow yourself a little bit of learning before going into the um, product market fit obsession. And if, if I put it in a different way, I think there are moments of divergence in the thinking of the startups, as well as in creative processes. I come from the architectural world and uh, you know it's, it's always like that. When you're doing a project, you first of all, you expand with the world of possibilities, ideas, but then very fast you need to focus on okay what is viable what is it that we're going to do what aligns with the goal but i think those two need to happen and and probably not only once but many times you know many times first time that you're finding a product market fit probably another time when you're moving to another market probably another time when you're moving to another segment and and so on and so forth because you know product market fit needs to keep evolving uh, if you launch a new product you also need to find that product so that's it i think that's that's what i would say but there's a danger if you keep too much on the expansion mode or the divergence mode that you define a system you define a beautiful picture of something that is not executable or that you cannot execute you know with with the resources you have and that is a danger that's why i think from the very beginning you need to be aware that you and your team as well need to be aware that the key goal in the end is product market fit that's a, that's a good practical uh, advice also, Geronimo, and I bridges perfectly to a last question I had, uh, and let's start with you, Teddy, on this one, and then Geronimo, if you want to add to it, please do. What, what are some of the classical mistakes founders make while trying to find product market fit, Teddy? This kind of goes back to your question just before that Geronimo was, was answering, which is, yes, we should always keep an eye on product market fit. We should actually keep an eye on it even before we design the MVP, the minimum viable product. It's actually pre-product. We should already thinking about how do I define what product market fit looks like for, for our target customer. And this should help guide us uh, in terms of productizing, quote unquote, the one key insight that we're getting from, from our target customer and making sure we don't lose sight of that. Like just don't build for building sake and just ship a product out there and see how it works. I'd rather urge founders to spend a little bit more time testing that initial hypothesis pre-product and honing what that value proposition is and our perceived sense of what that impact is. Uh, just as Ron was said, we won't know, but we have to take a view um, with a bit of faith that the impact will be there once a product is in a tangible form in an actual MVP stage. So that's, I think, the one thing I would always recommend all of our founders to do. Actually, even for <laughs> much later stage growth equity companies as well, when you're thinking about expanding into new markets, 
uh, launching a new set of products for uh, an adjacent segment of customers. Like, let's never forget that we have to test the hypothesis with the target set of customers, no matter how much cash we have in the bank, right? To be able to, to really show that we're having that impact and thus can grow a product that can scale with a balance of, I guess, at the later stages of, of growth versus profitability. And to this point, Geronimo made in the end of how you shouldn't get obsessed with trying to find the product market fit because it could blind you for seeing potential other things you need to be aware of. Do you have any other sort of classical mistakes that you should try to avoid at this stage? Don't take what customers are telling you as holy writ, right? Um, they often don't know exactly what they want. And you're at a pretty a founder at that early stage. Is that a pretty unique position? Because you're able to collect in hopefully a very standardized way those insights and be able to distill that down into, okay, actually, no, the problem is not X, it's actually Y. And being able to then take that insight and go back to that same set of 20 people, hopefully 50 people, and say, hey, was it actually Y that you were telling me? And realizing, oh, actually, it was Y in terms of the problem that we're solving for. And then building a, a, a product around that, I guess, That's the don't, I guess, <laughs> I would mention. And also don't, don't scale too quickly just because people, invest, especially investors, are saying, how do you scale this? How do you scale this? Like it's completely fine to build something more manual, quote unquote, in the beginning, in the early days. And then figuring out, okay, there are pieces of this that I can definitely build into a tech product that can scale with a little bit more capital and time. But I think taking that little bit more time to, to prove these hypotheses out will benefit you. I know I mentioned earlier, time is the greatest asset the founders have, but it's also how you invest that time. And in saying, hey, I'd rather raise, you know, multiple six-digit figure round and then just hire a bunch of smart people and then figure out product market fit. I've never been a fan of that. Some people can make it work, but I think really honing in on, on the problem solution set in the beginning days is key. Because I think that there are a couple of things that are super interesting that I resonate 100% also in our journey. I think in terms of, of mistakes, just going directly to your question, Soren, one of the other mistakes would be, in my opinion, uh, but of course, again, there are multiple cases, but it's monetizing first, trying to go into like a pricing that you set that you believe is the right pricing for this product and that in a way hinders the potential for adoption, uh, learning and building that stickiness. And I think in that sense, at the very beginning, you need to be a little bit flexible. Of course, in the end, you need to find a reasonable pricing because your viability depends on that. But, but I think th that could be one mistake. All right. With those practical do's and don'ts, I think we're at a good place to end today's panel discussion. Thanks so much for being with us and sharing your insights for aspiring founders listening to this podcast. Thank you, Teddy Kim, Head of Venture Development at APX and Geronimo van Schindel, co-founder and CEO at Billia. Thank you so much, Soren. Thank you, Geronimo, for sharing your insights and your time. I learned a lot. And as Soren will always close, uh, we're very open to talk with any founders, aspiring and, and existing founders. So please do reach out to us. Happy to discuss in more detail anything we talked about today. Thank you so much, Soren and Teddy, for your time, your insights. And I, I must say uh, it's very relevant that we discuss these things for very early stage startups and also you know, the mission of APX and the support for, for the ecosystem of, of startups at the very early stages is crucial because it's oftentimes there are a lot of opportunities that remain unseen because of that lack of support. And uh, we're very grateful for that. So thanks. That's all for today. If you have feedback or topic ideas, send me an email at cern at apx.vc or comment on the episode on social media where we are at APX Berlin. The Early Stages is a podcast by APX produced by WakeWord. Thanks to you for listening. My name is Sora Nielsen and I will be back in two weeks time 
We will end, as always, with a voice message we've received from one startup in the APX portfolio, whom we've asked to share one thing they wish they would have known before they started their company. Here's what they said. Hi there, I'm Claudia, one of the co-founders of FITA. FITA is an IoT-enabled home gardening brand that uses cutting-edge technologies to connect people with plants. One of the best advice I can give to new founders is to assemble a team very early on that believes in the same values, but is otherwise truly complementary in terms of career backgrounds, skill sets, and personality. 